know who rides with Baird in a frohand. Oh, yes. Word has reached my ears of this Aragorn, son of Arathorn. And I tell you now, I will not bow to this ranger from the north. Last of a ragged house, long bereft of lordship. Authority has not given to you to deny the return of the king, steward. Garson, coffee! <laughs> Welcome to the Coffee and Death Six podcast. My name is Kevin Romani. And I am Danny Marchant. And as is tradition, Danny and I at the end of the calendar year celebrating the anniversary of the Lord of the Rings films, the original trilogy. So we're at our third and final entry of the first trilogy, at least uh, the only true Lord of the Rings trilogy. And that is The Return of the King. As of this recording, I think the official... 20-year anniversary was like three or four days ago, so we're pretty spot on to when this came out 20 years ago. This one actually had a re-release back in April, and Danny and I were toying with going to see it in theaters, but it didn't feel right. This is like our Christmas episode, and I've enjoyed watching these one year apart from each other right around the holidays like we did 20 years ago. So we'll be talking about this film, how it ranks with the other two, a little bit comparing and contrasting the theatrical edition versus the extended edition and of course danny and i are going to get lost in the weeds going over specific character moments and lines of dialogue that only we think about in great detail so (laughs) danny what is your memory of seeing this for the first time what is your relationship with this film Uh, i like this movie it's good (laughs) my uncle daniel took us to see the lord of the rings movies we did not see the first one in theaters i think i said that when we did fellowship two years Mm. ago Still, one of my great sort of movie regrets mm. is that I haven't, I have not seen that movie on a big screen, which is wild to me. But anyway, yeah, my uncle Daniel took us to Two Towers and Return of the King because he was and is a huge Tolkien nerd. So these movies were, you know, he had essentially waited his whole life to see these. And my memory of Return of the King was movies like this, it finished and I was exhausted, but in a good way. It was so big and epic and long that, and I felt really tired at the end of it, but it was like a great way to spend an afternoon. Like the whole afternoon was just going to see this movie. And I distinctly remember feeling, wow, third things usually aren't this good. Third things are usually disappointing in one way or the other. And this did not feel like that. And we can get into the many reasons why, but that was my biggest thing, just it ending and feeling like, wow, that was definitely a good ending to this story that we've been invested in for a couple of years now. And at that point, I hadn't read the books. I hadn't gotten into the books. It was just the movies. So it was just the movie journey. And I didn't know, there was no spoilers. I hadn't gone on, there was no internet mm-hmm. discussion that I was involved in. It was just waiting a year to see the next chapter. And this was a satisfying third chapter. Yeah, this was a magical movie year this was a important period in our lives we were in eighth grade when this one came out and this came out a month after the matrix revolutions Mm. and that was i think my first true like third movie in a trilogy disappointment disappointment mr anderson you disappoint me 
so like you're saying, um, <laughs> third movies are usually a little eh. I think yeah. at this point in my life, I didn't recognize necessarily that Return of the Jedi was the weakest of the Star Wars movies, or at least I was like, whatever, they're all about the same. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't that like X-Men The Last Stand hadn't come out yet. Spider-Man 3 hadn't come out yet. So all these future like, oh God, these trilogies just don't know how to end correctly. I didn't really like have that feeling yet, but yes, to this day, and I see your, so Danny, a little inside baseball. I think we've maybe said this before, but Danny does more of the set. Well, by more of, he does all of the, he sets the streams up and he's responsible for the recording links and he creates titles for the recording links. And the title for this one is the return of the King has aged a little bit. You have aged. <laughs> which is a play on our title for the fellowship of the ring episode which was hasn't aged a day which is a line in the movie mm -hmm. so we'll get to that which i agree with for sure and our two towers episode which was the two towers also hasn't aged a day yes yeah, so and that is going to lead into how i felt after watching this in a bit but yeah so when i saw this it was so this was like the first really like epic this trilogy definitely felt epic, like seeing it on the big screen when they came out with, you know, family holiday season, three hours long Oscar nominations. But this one really encapsulated all of that, where it goes on to win best picture. It's this huge smash. It's like, you gotta <coughs> see this. It's while the first two are, and we'll talk about this later, the first two are ultimately better visual films. This one still felt more epic in scale. The battle of Pelennor fields, that olefants and everything that's going on <laughs> with that it's like wow this is like what i would later learn it's like this felt like a throwback david lean lawrence of arabia type movie much more so than the other two when this came out this was my favorite movie ever this was clearly my favorite of the three until i would go home and watch two towers and that was my favorite again as we discussed when we reviewed Fellowship of the Ring, and this absolutely remains true, that is easily my favorite of these three movies. But they are all tremendous movies. They're all very important to my childhood, my upbringing, with my family. This is my movie with my mom and my stepdad. I've talked about that. They love this movie in particular so much that like, they don't... I don't know if they even watched the other two. They just watched this one. <laughs> Another little just quick family anecdote. This is a shout out to my brother, David, if he's listening. David was like two or three when this came out. And he's since only watched the first one. And these aren't really doing anything for him. Mm -hmm. But I had a poster. I had the DVD poster of this in my bedroom that I either got at the theater when I saw it or it came with a magazine or something. I don't know. It was just a theatrical poster and it was a smaller version of it. It was more like a eight and a half by 11 or a little bit bigger than that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I had it on like a bulletin board. And, you know, David, when he was, he was so young, he's like learning to speak basically. And would ask what that was, whatever. And Gandalf is featured somewhat prominently. He's probably the second mm -hmm. biggest face or third biggest face on that poster. Mm -hmm. And a couple months later, we were outside a convenience store and there was a man with a long white beard and long white hair who walked by and David excitingly pointing says, <laughs> Turn of the king, turn of the king. <laughs> so to this day, the movie is called in my family "Turn of the King." So whenever Aww. they watch it, it's "Turn of the King." So that's 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 isn't charming. that wholesome? Isn't that a charming that's so story? Charming yeah. And wholesome. yeah. <laughs> 
So that's my little, yeah. But this, oh, but we, I saw this three times in the theater. Yep. Um, I saw it with my mom's side of the family. I saw it then with my stepmother. And then I saw it with guest host uh, Nick Fauche. We all, so this was like an event. This was one of the first event films. This, the Phantom Menace and Revenge of the Sith to a lesser extent, The Dark Knight and Force Awakens, I feel like are the like yeah. the movie events. So this one will always hold a special place in, in our hearts for that. And you and I saw The Dark Knight Rises with David, didn't we? Wasn't that... We did, yeah. Our David, that was like one of his first, yeah, David's yeah, yeah, first time. yeah, yeah. Because he, well, I shouldn't say one of his first, but like one of those big, big movies. He missed out on a lot. Yeah. But I know we took him to see Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I think that might have been one of his first movie theater movies, actually, because he was only six oh. at the time. But yeah, David did come to see Rise of Skywalker, or Rise of Skywalker. My goodness, Dark Knight Rises, <laughs> Return of the King, Return of the Jedi, The Dark Knight Rises, The Rise of Skywalker. There's all these yes. third movie things, which will yes. And the Dark Knight Rises was a was a third movie that I I remember you and I like went back and forth on in terms of oh was it great was it good was it fine was it like all that stuff. And I remember when we saw it. This has nothing to do with Return of the King, so we can just cut this entire part. No, out. no, no. But I remember when we saw it, there was a much younger family, like a couple rows in front of us, and you and I had already seen it. So we were like a little sort of like, uh, is it like, is it that like, is it disappointing? And during the scene where Batman starts beating the crap out of Bane at the end, there was that little kid in the front row who went, who we just heard him go, get him, Batman. <laughs> and it was like, yeah, this is, that's lovely. You know, it works for hey, who it's supposed to work for. You said 11 years ago, we were going back and forth and whether or not that's a great movie. I still go back and forth in my own head of whether or not the dark Knight rises is a great movie. It's I'm settled it's, on it. I love it. I just think it's a big, it's a big brassy broad that just wants to entertain. You I do look, I ultimately, yeah. I love that. I, I ultimately love the movie as well. It, it, yeah, it's for me, it's it's this one, it's the Bourne Ultimatum and the Dark Knight mm -hmm. Rises that are the three, a true trilogy. I don't mean like third movies. Yes. I mean like a continuing story. <clears throat> I think those three are my holy grail of yes. third movies that have a satisfying ending to a contained story. I know we get the ruined Jason Bourne movie, but I that movie has, I don't know if there's a movie that's ever been more did that exist did that happen <laughs> jason born in 2016 but yeah all of this aside this movie is still the gold standard for how to end your trilogy i think we've discussed this in our previous two entries of the one advantage that this team had in making these movies is that they made them all at once they filmed them all at once. You know, they wrote them together at once. They yes. filmed them all together at once. Most, for the most part, I know there was yes. like reshoots and like little things like that. But to have the same creative team together executing these movies and it works really well. So and that's, the source you know, material existed in its entirety, yes, from start to finish, and had already been broken up narratively in like nice, clean chunks. What do you are you alluding to? Another fantasy franchise that maybe didn't do this teaser for next year. Um, <laughs> Yes, these movies were filmed together. I think there were a lot of pickup shoots, particularly when it comes to this third movie. Yes. Which I think is the reason why, if you're going to pick a weakest, which is like such not the correct word at all, I do think it's this one because I think mm -hmm. this was the movie, this was the novel that they had kind of figured out the least. And Viggo Mortensen has said in an interview that they finished shooting for fellowship. They finished that first block of shooting, that famous year of shooting where they all made a movie for a year and they were making three movies. And he remembers thinking, so that first one's going to be good. 
And those other two are going like straight to video. Like those aren't going to work as movies. Of course, the first one was very good and it was a huge success. And then they got the money and time to go back two years in a row and essentially finish movie two and movie three. And I think Return of the King benefited the most from that because I think they finally figured out what the hook of the movie is kind of, but they also were editing this movie up until the premiere. There's a great anecdote on those fantastic extended edition mm. DVDs where Elijah Wood asks Peter Jackson at the premiere, how is it? And Peter Jackson says, I, I don't, I think it's good. I'm about to find out with all of you. His first time seeing his cut, his final cut was when everyone else saw the final cut. And I think that's something we can get into later is I don't think either version of this film is finished really in a, yeah, I, I think like there still exists a medium between the theatrical version and the extended version that I think is just as perfect as the first two, but all of that doesn't really matter because the big story beats are there and the emotional beats are there. And it just feels like the culmination of these previous two movies. It just feels like this perfect crescendo. And I think it's one of those trilogies where whichever one someone says is their favorite, I think, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Like, there's a case to be made for all three. Mm -hmm. And this one is so epic in scope, and it pushed things forward in such a way. And, of course, I think a lot of movies learned the Ron lesson, as always happens when a movie is successful. They want everything to look and feel like Return of the King. But it's not Return of the King, though. Like, Return of the King is the third movie in one story. And they now make movies that are the first movie in franchises that don't exist yet. And they're treating it with the same level of awe that Return of the King. It's like, well, you haven't earned this at all. Right. <laughs> you, you're, right. You're, just, you're just immediately getting to the, to the Minas Tirith stuff. You haven't earned the Minas Tirith stuff. And I think that's why this movie works so well. Is because we've been waiting for this big confrontation between the forces of good and the forces of evil and it happens and it's incredibly satisfying and just a visual feast but the movie also remembers to give time to the actual plot and quest and heart of the story which is all of this is just a way to distract the big evil guy so that these two these two little hobbits can can get to the mountain and that's i think that was the thing that's still the most impressive to me is that Peter Jackson loves war. He doesn't love war, but he loves the sort of epic romantic scale of war on film. And he indulges himself in this movie, and it's great. But he still was like, but ultimately, I got to make sure, you know, I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. Like, he just, he just knows nice. what the heart of the story is. Yes. Like you said, ultimately why this movie works really well is it, doesn't forget its characters for the most part. They have sat it. We'll, we'll come back to that a bit. Yeah, we'll focus on the positive, I think, more for... And the negative, by the way, is nothing, like, massive. The negative is not negative. Yeah, it's, just... it's, it's a little nitpicky, but there are yeah. some things that I think actually, especially this recent viewing, not a detriment, but, but why it clearly, for me, is now my third favorite of these three. But from the positive end, it, what how I felt in 2003, how I feel in 2023, this has the most satisfying conclusion on story levels just where everyone finishes up how the whole tale ends is like wow that was perfect it feels like and they live happily ever after and you have mm. no questions and there's nothing like that where most of these other third movies going 
you know, look at Return of the Jedi. Even in my youth, I thought, geez, that just that movie just like ends. It just ends. <laughs> like there's no so that's it. Like we're not it just feels a little anticlimactic. Again, on a character level, it ultimately works and it's and it's a good movie. But mm -hmm. it's always missing that extra like, God, I wish there was a little and I know this movie is so critic was it was made fun of. It was such a joke at the time for all the different endings. And it's like Sure, there were a couple times you thought the movie was going to end. It kind of fades to black, whatever. But did you hate the next scene? Did you hate the scene after that? Did you have any questions? You know, I like it. I like the denouement. I like how much time we spend saying goodbye to everybody and that we see their mm -hmm. reuniting and saying their farewells after going on such an adventure with each other. And it really brings it back to that feeling that you had at the start of the first movie, but also there's, there's an inkling of, of sadness. Like when I think of... Everything I'm gonna I'm gonna quote the Matrix Revolutions, but everything that has a beginning has an end. Whenever I think of something, some sort of pervasive thought about things ending, I think of this movie. Like this movie, just it's like, yep, this story is now over. Frodo goes away. Sam gets married and has kids. That's just a fairy tale storybook ending that is so so incredibly satisfying. Yeah, exactly, and that's why I've always found it so funny. George R. R. Martin is famous for him. He's talking about the Lord of the Rings and how much mm -hmm. he loves the Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. But he's like, I don't like that ending. That's such a fairy tale ending. Like, what was Aragorn's tax policy? Did he commit a genocide against the orcs? And it's... Oh, my God. Is that's it, are, do why, you make up those quotes or are those about his sentiments? Those are direct. Those are direct. Oh, okay. And that's why he writes the books that he writes because he's interested in all that stuff. He's interested in every action and what's its reaction and what does it lead to and what is the fallout and what is the aftermath. But if you really are thinking that at the end of this movie, you're a goofball and you're a knucklehead because the whole point is that it's the end. It's over. Tolkien tried to write a sequel called The New Shadow and it was going to be set, I think, during the reign of Aragorn's grandson, I want to say. Maybe son. I don't know if I have that right, but definitely the next king after Aragorn. And the whole idea was that everyone's forgotten and they think orcs are cool and they want to bring Sauron back. And he tried writing it and he got 20 pages in and he, you know, smoking on his pipe, he was like, well, this sucks. <laughs> like, and he stopped writing it because he thought there'd be no point to this. Yeah. I have nothing interesting to say. He's like, yes, obviously, as with all things, things continue to go on, but I'm done. I wrote the story. It's over. So it exists as this fragment and it's interesting and it's kind of spooky, but like, who gives a shit? It's over. It's the end of the story. Um, that's the whole theme. That's the whole theme of the story is that these characters are living at a time when all the magic is going away and the earth is becoming less, less fantastic. That's the whole point of the, of that ending is that all the people who ever carried magic rings are leaving. They're going to heaven and they're never coming back. And now it's up to just regular people to just live their lives in yeah. peace and quiet. And that's why there's that great shot. Sam is back. He's finally back. Like he can just live his life with Rosie Cotton and his two kids or three kids. And uh, they can live in their little home and just, you know, live happily ever after. Like what's wrong with that? What is wrong with happily ever after when it's so earned? And it's not like there's, this, it's been this saccharine disnified story. It's been a dark story where people die and scary shit happens. Giant spiders try to kill you. And that's why it feels so nice when everyone gets the happy ending, you know? Yeah. And Frodo, Frodo going to heaven is sad. 
his friends yeah. are bawling and they're like really bawling. Like they're oh, yeah. ugly crying. Like it's not like movie star crying. It's Claire Danes crying where they're like really <laughs> upset that their best friend is leaving. And I know when we recorded two years ago, I talked about that scene where Frodo turns around mm -hmm. to, after Moria and I started crying because he doesn't ever get his innocence back until he's on the boat to the, mm -hmm. to the Undying Lands. That's why I love that shot. It's an exact mirror. He turns around, but instead of looking like he's lost his soul, he has a big old Frodo smile and he's happy because yeah. now he can be at peace with Bilbo and Gandalf and Galadriel. Like it's perfect. Yeah. When I saw this the first time, it felt so genuine. Like you said, like we have been on this three year journey together and there was so much character stuff, especially established in the first movie. Although this does like what all these great trilogies do. They're all the characters are together in the first one and they're all separated in the sequels. But you still feel that kinship among the four hobbits and among you know, of course, the other great moment is when the coronation of Aragorn and you see the Fellowship reunited. It's like, oh, this is just, yeah. And it, George R. R. Martin, okay, that's fine. Your Westeros universe is not going to have an ending like this. And that's totally fine. And that works great for what you wrote. But for what Tolkien wrote, this is the perfect ending. I like how long the ending is. I like that you get to kind of breathe and revisit and spend some time with these characters. And from that sense, it's just so perfect. It reminds me a lot of Final Season of Lost, which, yeah, if you get worked up with the whole magic and mystery of it all, you're not going to be happy. But from a character perspective, everything ended in a pretty satisfying way. You're not like wanting for more on a character level. And that's exactly what this movie delivers. Yeah, um, I could have used more endings. I want to see Gimli in his new dwarf colony in the glittering caves near Helm's Deep. I want to see Legolas just walking around in the forest, just thinking, man, I've got nothing going on up here. I just love being in the trees. I do like in the ending in the Little Wizard of Oz moment where Frodo sees the Fellowship and he's so excited that, oh my God, Gandalf's here and all my friends made it. It is funny that he doesn't say anything when he sees Legolas because I don't think he knows Legolas' name because that is a, that's always a moment that makes me chuckle. He's like, Gimli, yeah. Aragorn. And then Legolas steps in and he's just like... Hey, Slugger. Yeah. Hey, hey Ace. <laughs> yeah, there is a little bit of that. Yeah, that that's like uh, in Last Jedi at the end when Rey and Poe introduce each other, themselves to each other. It's like, oh shit, yeah, wow, we're entering the end of this trilogy and these two characters haven't even met on screen yet. Um, Honestly, that's like the only thing that, that's always bothered me. And like, you know me, I love that movie, but I'm always like, what? They met in the last movie. I saw them. They were in the same room. Mm. Um, it's great. And like, I've heard people complain, oh, like it's, look at this, like they all survived. Like how tough of a journey could it be? It's like, well, yeah, they all survived, but like half of them are traumatized and one of them was only going to live here for five more years before he goes to heaven. So like who, I don't know. I, again, like, yes, you can, I can see why you would watch this or many, you know, in previous decades, generations, read this and think, well, that's a very tidy ending. Like, I I think I want to explore that a little bit more. But how interesting does that ever ultimately end up being? Fantasy worlds, do they keep going on? Like, what happens? Like, we saw, you know, everyone saw that movie Bright, where orcs and elves live in the present day, and it sucked. You, you don't I even know. want to... Oh, oh, the Will Smith, Joel Edgerton, that the... The, the orc cop. The orc cop movie. Yeah, that that um, sex pervert wrote. Um, yes. Max... Max Landis. Not, I almost said Max Reitman. My brain no. got my brain got wired. Max Landis. No. Thank you. Max okay. Landis. One of yeah. his other high concept movies was 
it's fantasy, but it's the modern day. So oh. the fantasy stories like the religion. It's like that's stupid. No one liked that. Yeah. No one liked that. It was bad. Tolkien invented all these tropes, and yes, they get used poorly and are often pretty superficial and shallow and don't really work. But they work here, though, mm -hmm. <laughs> and they work really well here. The thing is, he wasn't. He was just trying to write the book that he wanted to read, and it just happened to resonate with most people, since it's what the was it the second? It was like the second most popular book of the 20th century after like the Bible. The Bible. <laughs> <laughs> this is more of our Bible at this. And point. that's the thing; yeah. these movies are so popular. It's like every generation. It gets new fans. It gets new people who've never seen it. They'd only seen the memes or they knew that they had friends who saw it and they watch it and they're blown away because it's just incredible filmmaking and it still works. Like it won best picture. And it's one of those few times where the movie that won best picture, it was the best picture of that year. Mm -hmm. Like that's the movie that everyone it saw. It was a great movie year. It was a very was, good movie year. Yes. You and Ryan just recorded on Master and Commander, which was an excellent film. I will say one minor thing I thought of when you both were talking about how great it looked, and I agree that that deserved to have won Best Cinematography, but you did say that makes sense that Return of the King... Return of the King wasn't even nominated for Best Cinematography. I think that's a little really? wild. Yeah, especially when it won 11. It's such a technical movie that won so many technical awards that I was shocked it didn't even get a cinematography yeah. nomination. Maybe it was because it was it was early in the visual effects like yeah. revolution, and it is the movie that is the least the least real. Like it's the it's it For is sure. the most sets and green screen. Fellowship of the Rain is so like yeah earthy and and I think know, that you, one cinematography. I want to say Fellowship one cinematography, which makes sense. So Return of the King does have moments where you kind of feel you feel the weight of like oh this is a lot of CGI and this is what all movies wanted to look like and they don't look as good but it is still andrew lesney who was like a genius like he just like made movies look like so good i just think given the nature of how they filmed it and that the settings are kind of the most fantastic that maybe people didn't quite know how to mm. like, what are we recognizing here and then you, you compare that with now when movies like Avatar get nominated for cinematography because people understand like you still have to light your movies. Like you still have to, even if it's all CGI, you still have to make it look aesthetically pleasing. I don't know if anyone who makes Marvel movies is listening, but you still mm. have to make it look nice. It has to be nice to look at still. Mm. And yeah, so, a lot of movies took this and then the Pirates of the Caribbean sequels in particular kind of created this paradigm where your movie should be three hours long it should be filled with CGI spectacle and people will love it. And I think that's not really what people were responding to with Return of the King. I mean, I, I do think the battle scenes are impressive and I do think people love the bigness of it, like the big helicopter shots of, of the Nazgul swooping down on mm -hmm. Minas Tirith and all the stuff with on, uh, Doom. And people did like that, but that's not what they were like responding to. That's not why they love the movie. They love the movie because all of our characters are in this big battle scene. We care about what's going to happen to Theoden and Eomer and Eowyn and Pippin and Merry. Like we don't want Faramir to get burned alive. We don't want, we won't want Pippin to get hurt. Like we want these characters to make it through this huge Titanic clash 
between good and evil. We want Aragorn to become the king, but if he has to die for Frodo to live, like we want that too, because we don't want Frodo to die. We don't want Sam to die. And we weirdly don't want Gollum to die. <laughs> it's like hey, people hey. responded to that. They did not respond to, ooh, that looks impressive. That's well, yeah, just it's just CGI. it's just like Star Wars, right? We should drop the George Lucas famous quote when he, <laughs> when he talks about special effects are great. They're a tool. They're a way to drive your story, make things exciting. But special effects are just a tool, a means of telling a story. People have a tendency to confuse them as an end to themselves. Uh, a special effect without a story is a pretty boring thing. They don't matter if your characters aren't there if you don't have yes. strong characters that you're rooting for i.e the prequels but the original trilogy has that and that's why those movies are awesome it's not just the special effects and that's the same thing with these three movies yeah and um, none of it matters if there isn't ultimately if there isn't a guy at the top who knows what he's doing and what he wants you know who has like a filmmaking eye and i think that's the difference between something like this and your sort of typical big Avengers movie is a shot I always think of is, you know, everyone talks about the, the ride of the Rohirrim when they charge into battle at the end of the siege. And it's awesome. What's awesome, though, is that Theoden gets two battle speeches in this movie. Arise! Arise, riders of Theoden! Spears shall be shaken! Shields shall be splintered! A sword day! A red day! Big epic charge. They all cheer. It's incredible. This Howard Shore's music just is, it's just like, it's just, in, it's, it's mind bogglingly good. And then 10 minutes later, he gives another awesome speech when the Mummakill show up and he just takes a look at them and he just basically says, fuck it, we'll do it live. Let's just let's just charge him. Like, why not? <laughs> like, it's another great battle speech. And then it's another great charge, which in any other movie would be the big showstopper. But in this movie, it's just the thing that you forget happens. Oh, oh yeah. And then they, they charge him again. But there's that great shot of the camera going following them across the field and then underneath like underneath the mama kill as it swings its big tusk it's like they don't do that in marvel movies they don't have anything like that that just feels like you're like it's a guy in a helicopter kind of trying to get that shot because the timing needs to be right mm. of course that's not the case it's cgi 
But Peter Jackson has that thing of like, yes, I want it to be epic. I want it to be unbelievable, but I don't want it to be stupid. Like <laughs> I want it to feel like you're there. Like you're actually witnessing something. Yeah, to close the loop on the Andrew Lesney, as you said. So yeah, he was nominated and won for the Fellowship of the Ring. And then the other two weren't even nominated for cinematography, which is interesting to me, especially Two Towers. So I think, well, 2003, we mentioned was a great movie year. So it was Master and Commander, Return of the King, Mystic River, the first Kill Bill, which is one of our favorite movies. And uh, I'm half joking, The Matrix Reloaded, <laughs> even though- uh, I'm not joking at all. No, yeah, that's, that is one of my favorite films. Uh, the Matrix Revolutions is one of my least favorite films. Uh, they came out in the same year. <laughs> uh, the, the first Pirates of the Caribbean came out in 2003. Another yeah, great movie. Another great movie. The Last Samurai. Did Jordy say that? Yeah. That, no, I didn't. The Last, the Last Samurai. Samurai came out. That's yeah. very good. I know I'm missing one or two others, but that was like a big, that was a really, really, there was no Spielberg, I don't think that year, or Coens. That was when the Coens were like in a bit of a slump, actually. Didn't yeah. Intolerable Cruelty come out that year? Either 02 or 03. And that's not yeah. my favorite. Anyway. But yeah, lots yeah. of sort of. Oh, Lost big... in Translation came out that year. Finding Nemo. Movies. Um, yeah, um, big, big movie year. Yeah, uh, and like throwback movies, movies that are yeah. like, like the golden age of cinema, kind of like just, just entertain them, just entertain yeah. them, like make them entertained. <laughs> yes. Just tell a good story. So with this specific movie, continuing with the positive, so all three movies do my favorite thing where they say the title, the movie, and the movie. Uh, yes. So the subtitle said, but this is the best one. Yes. Uh, Gandalf says authority is not given to you to deny the return of the king with that awesome music and tensions are high. And it's great. So as a kid, and I still felt this way even now, but I understand one of the best things this movie does to go back to The Last Jedi again is it subverts your expectations a bit where Aragorn doesn't do a lot of big hero stuff in this in terms of like mm -hmm. a traditional chart. He doesn't do the Theoden, although he does have a speech later, but mm -hmm. he doesn't get like the best and biggest speech and leading people in the battle because he did it in the last movie. 13 year old Kevin wanted to see Aragorn go out with a sword and just kick the shit out of every orc in the world. Yes. But now I it's that was smart to not do that because the first movie you get to this guy's a badass we morally and he's a very round solid guy like we want this guy yes. to be leading us the second when, movie when you first watch it he is the coolest guy you've ever seen in a movie yes <laughs> and the second movie reinforces that on a larger scale because in the first mm -hmm. movie he does it within the the fellowship but in the second movie he is now a leader of men where his mm -hmm. he's brave he's not looking for recognition he has all the qualities that you want he doesn't want to be a leader that's probably the guy who should be the leader. So you've established all of that. And he has so many awesome movements that we talked about during the Battle of Helm's Deep. So this is like the biggest strength in this movie from a character level is both with Aragorn and the best character in this movie is Theoden, uh, I, yes. in my opinion. And I No, no, that. that's, that is yeah. correct. <laughs> I don't know if I said this on, on our last podcast. He's my favorite character in the entire trilogy. He's certain. Yeah, that's well, a great Gandalf choice. Is, whatever. But like, after that, like Theoden is my, he is my favorite guy. I love him. And specifically in this movie, I love his character arc. I think that's another, it's like throwback, but it's also like a modern-ish twist on it too. But with Aragorn, so the movie's called Return of the King. He's front and center on the poster. I have not the theatrical poster, but more of just a, you know, whatever poster of just him on the horse mm -hmm. in my office, actually. So it's like, yes, he he doesn't do the traditional cliche stuff in this movie. He's still wrestling with 
whether or not he's going to take it upon himself to kind of take this role that that's in his blood but it's beyond that as well it's also something that he's earned because he is as we just discussed he has all the qualities that make him a great leader he should be the leader he finally his character arc in this one is accepting this mm -hmm. and he has to go on a different journey to we'll talk about this a bit more maybe a little later but he has an opportunity to brings a little magic in the movie where these ghosts I love that they specifically didn't they were soldiers of Gondor and they bailed on a sealed door and a sealed door well, they, they like lived in Gondor but they were like mercenaries older, yeah they were like an older tribe like they weren't Numenorians like they all okay. Tolkien's, you know Tolkien's blood and race nonsense but they were like lesser men okay they said they'd fight but they didn't they didn't show up they got scared and they, they didn't show up when they were supposed to and I like that. I like that Aragorn has to confront this thing that his his ancestor created. Also, I just love the idea that Isildur cursed them and it worked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so all right. Uh oh, I don't know if I want to get off the rails on magic yet. Magic is my biggest thing with this, these three movies. I think I've talked about it in our previous mm -hmm. entries. The rules are not well established. If I'm getting Peter, Peter Jackson doesn't like magic, and he didn't like having to put it in the movies. He didn't. Yeah, have, I think that's all. To, and I think this third movie is where it catches up to him. Like his yes. his complete disinterest in the magical stuff didn't matter in the first two because Gandalf just kind of does cool shit with his hands and all of a sudden there's fire like mm -hmm. doesn't matter and the ants aren't magical they're just you know they're just trees that talk like what's a big deal this one he just was like ah just they're they're just a ghost army i don't know like <laughs> yeah, yeah that'll well, look cool <laughs> um this movie well maybe this could be the title of the episode deus ex tolkien I, yeah. I i just coined that myself um so there are a lot of deus ex machinas in this that are like oh god at, at least this one is a little bit of a they do establish a bit of a rule where it's okay so you were cursed by a sealed door I, I i always wondered if maybe if he had the ring when this happened so like the ring allowed this power to transfer even though men are i don't know but whatever he's, also, he's a fancy special numenorian so so they have some sort of curse yeah, powers they can whatever forever, you know aragorn's 87 so, so yep so aragorn goes on this journey he says here's the deal you come fight for us i relieve you of your curse and then you just drift off into heaven or whatever um <laughs> but i love that gimli says what everyone in the audience is asking so this exactly happens they show up he does it and he's like mm -hmm. uh they're really good at a pinch like maybe yeah you know, but <laughs> And I'm thinking to myself, God, Aragorn, maybe if you just said, like, we have a two-pronged attack here. <laughs> we're going to go free the city, and then we're going to go into the Black Gate, and just we're just going to stop this right now. And this will never, this problem will never happen again. But Yeah, but then maybe if he had done that, the ghosts would have killed them all. Because they can, you know? And then you have less of an exciting movie. and That's the thing. It's like, yeah. it was a situation where I'm sure Peter Jackson felt like he had to include them. Because... Can I get into the book for a second? Please. Okay. I, I read the book shortly after this, so it's, it's completely left. No, please. I remember the, a lot of it, but not, yeah. not, yeah. The whole siege battle situation is extremely, it's not extremely different, but it's just, it's a lot more 
like there are lots of walls leading up to across the Pelennor fields. Like the orcs have to breach all of those walls before they get to the city. It's much more Faramir is involved in like a days long operation in Osgiliath where he, it's like a long time between him leaving and him coming back. Like in this movie, it's this beautiful sequence of him riding out and then he gets dragged back, you know, a couple hours later. And in the book, a company of Rangers comes south specifically looking to join up with Aragorn and they have a little banner that Arwen has that's what she's doing in the books she's knitting a banner for him so anyone who complains about the Arwen scenes in these movies it's like well the two women who wrote this movie wanted to give her a little bit of agency and a little bit of business they didn't want her to just be knitting a banner (laughs) she waits for her man to come home but they come south and there's like a couple hundred of them basically and they're there to help and Aragorn says great you can come with me and Legolas and Gimli, because we have to go find the dead men. And the dead men in the book are basically, they just scare the shit out of everybody. Like, they don't actually really do anything. It's just that if they're there, everyone feels fear, and they feel, like, terrified. And he leads them all through the Gondorian countryside. He, like, frees a bunch of villages and settlements, and they get to the pirates, and the pirates get all afraid, because there's just this dread gripping their hearts. And it's very, like, left up to your imagination, yeah, And it's like, how do you adapt that? And Peter Jackson, being the little Ray Harryhausen kid that he is, he opted for, they'll just be a bunch of green ghosts. <laughs> they'll, they'll just tackle the elephants and they'll just be skeleton. They'll be just a bunch of skeletons and they'll, <laughs> they'll be magic. And, you know, movie-wise, I think it works. Like, it, it works well enough, yeah. Now, as, a, as like an adult male, do I pref- would I prefer, like, a bunch of Viggo Mortensons? Yeah, probably. That might have worked a little bit better for me, but... Is that the kind of big Hollywood epic tone that he was going for? And that's the thing. The Army of the Dead, like, uh, it just doesn't work really either way. It's like just a bad, it's like a weird beat in the books and mm-hmm. into the movie. But what he opted for, he opted for sort of like the visual spectacle. And it's definitely the weakest thing, I think, in all three movies. Probably, um, yeah. And it, But it still looks cool. It looks cool and it works well enough, like I said, on a character level, because instead of having Aragorn do the same exact thing as he did in the last movie, it's instead have this be more of like a story beat of confronting whether or not he's going to become the king. This is sort of his yes. This is sort of his moment where he completely fully all in embraces it. And this is how yeah, is it weird that the way he does that is by confronting a green ghoul? Yes, I but guess, but, but like, it is an awesome scene where the King of the Dead says, none but the King of Gondor may command me. Yeah. And Vigo, Aragorn just lifts up that sword and it's like, motherfucker, he is the King of Gondor. Like, you have no idea. And that's great. That shot of him, of the swords making contact mm-hmm. and the look on the King of the Dead's face is, it's great. The like, blind was broken. <laughs> <laughs> it has been remade. None but the King of Gondor may command me. was broken uh, it has been remade uh, uh. yeah i love that actor who put the guy that plays the yeah. is great he's got yes. a great voice i love his laugh that like creepy laugh he does and that's the other thing like the extended cut they put way too much back in about the army of the dead they yeah. show them agreeing to join him they also show aragorn legolas and gimli taking control of the the pirate ships yes. and 
it's like, I don't know if I needed to see that. Like, yeah, it's nice to kind of check in with our king more in the movie called Return of the King, but it's also kind of cool that in the theatrical cut, he says, what say you? And then it cuts to an hour of a siege, and then he just shows up on a ship with a bunch of ghosts. Like, that's kind of cool. I kind of like is. that. And he um, gets his third act. He gets more of his recognition to become the yes. king from a visual perspective. That's what, the thing. His middle part, yes, his middle arc of this movie isn't the strongest stuff, but him getting all dressed up and he's cleaned up and he's shaved his beard. He looks like a king and he gets an Irish accent and he decides and he leads mm. the, the Rohirrim and the Gondorians in a complete suicide mission. Like, that's what I love is that he's now the king. So now he has to make the conscious decision. Yeah, we're all going to go die, but we have to go die because Frodo needs time to get to Mount Doom. And it's like, he's the king. A king makes that decision. Aragorn, everybody's nice friend, would not have made that decision. He'd be like, well, I don't think we should just needlessly go get ourselves killed at the Black Gate. But the king of all men in Middle-earth, he has to make that call. We have to go die so that Frodo and Sam can can accomplish their task. And his speech is great, too. Mm -hmm. Sons of Gondor! Of Rohan! My brothers! I see in your eyes the same fear that would take the heart of me. A day may come when the courage of men fails, when we forsake our friends and break all bonds of fellowship. But it is not this day. An hour of wolves and shattered shields when the age of men comes crashing down. But it is not this day. This day we fight. By all that you hold dear on this good earth, I bid you stand. Again, if that was in a movie, that'd be a highlight of the movie. It's just hard to compete with that Theoden right. speech. And what this all allows, so this whole journey with Aragorn allows Theoden to have his character arc and a little bit of, not that, redemption it, redemption in his own mind. I think the audience is like, bro, we, we feel for you. You went through some shit in the last movie, but we love I you, think man. he... Yeah, we love you. Like, you're great. Yeah, so again, the magic stuff being weird in the last movie, he's like, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, he's possessed. Another thing that's great. In the, in the thank book, you. He's possessed, yeah. It's like not. It's like kind of more that Wormton is um, poisoning him. Like, he's like putting stuff in his drinks. Peter Jackson, being the movie the movie guy that he is, he's like, wouldn't it be cool if Saruman was just like operating him like a, like a marionette? Like, yeah, that would be cool. <laughs> That'd <Yeah>. be great. <laughs> that works much better visually. From yes. It's, it's very right. cool. And there's like three Kings in this movie. I know Denethor is not a King, but he's, you know, he's a King and there's three. I love the contrast between Denethor and Theoden, two guys that just want to die. <laughs> and yet one of them finds a way to make that productive. <laughs> Yes. Uh, much, yes. <laughs> yeah. Because, right. So Theoden has to deal with, right. He feels like he kind of left his people in the dust when he was under possession. And then he gets totally cucked by Aragorn <laughs> in, in Helm's team. Like he's expected to be the leader, but Aragorn just absolutely, he's like this wild card shows up and absolutely takes over leadership and wins that battle. His son also dies at the start of the two towers even at the start of this he says to eowyn like yep i didn't lead our people to victory it was not theoden it was not theoden of rohan 
who led our people to victory. He's sort of down in the dumps. He's feeling inadequate. He he's and down he, in the dumps. He's, he's sad. Down, and then he gets to be a fucking badass again, and he gets to lead his people and to get nitpicky stuff. I keep bringing up The Last Jedi. I don't know why this movie is... This should not have been a movie that I was thinking about with The Return of the King. The, the Last uh, Jedi just lives in all of our heads. I think it does, where that movie also does this thing that I hate in movies that every so often happens, where they don't characters don't tell other characters what they're doing precisely. Mm -hmm. So I hate that they think Aragorn's just like leaving them in this like where's he going he's going because he has to it's all these vague i think it would have been fine to say like here's the plan like here's what we're hoping to do so yes. you need to go buy time i like the dramatic nature of the suicide type mission that theoden is leading the rohirrim into but it would have also been nice if there was like a plan and a mission and it's like okay there is still a very strong chance that we are going to die we don't know if that's going to work we don't know how long it's going to take so we're going to fight to buy time to do whatever yeah. we can. I think that's still I all think, works. I, I think that it, because like he's talking to Elrond in that scene in his tent. I feel like Elrond basically fills Theoden in. Like, he's like, hello, Theoden. I am an elf. <laughs> and and <laughs> I'm, you know, that guy, Aragorn, I'm basically his dad. And here's what he has, <laughs> here's what he has to do. And so I always like that moment where Theoden walks out of the tent and kind of gives Aragorn a look of like, you are a different type of guy than I am. Like <laughs> you have a whole other destiny that is very foreign to me. Um, yeah. I think that's the moment where Thanon kind of feels like, okay, I am just the king of these, you know, blonde land Vikings. And this guy can trace his lineage back to like before the dawn of time. And he's got a whole other fate that he has to deal with. You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to ride out and kill as many orcs as I can. And ideally die and that's the thing theoden's goal is to die he just wants to die honorably he wants to have a good death he wants to be worthy of his of his forefathers and whose mighty company he will now not be ashamed like he just wants Excellent. to he's like born at the end of history and he just wants to do something worthwhile and he just wants his niece to smile you know she's yeah. so sad <laughs> she should smile more you know yeah. uh, the only time where a man tells a woman smile more and i don't cringe i'm just like yeah you should smile more she's it's so actually sweet. sweet yeah yeah it's, it's sweet he just is he really cares about his niece i love that you're right okay so i i just wish he could have like relayed that to his people i don't know yes like, because they're been... pretty bummed <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they're like, oh, shit, man. Like, he just left. The guy who led us to victory the last time, he's fucking telling us we're going to die. Like, this sucks. Like, I <laughs> I just feel it. Like, but then they, they get riled up and rallied to fight. So it, it the all, because they didn't know that Howard Shore was going to be there to help them, uh, help motivate them. And that's the thing in the book and that's the thing in the movie is we're, we're supposed to really care about Gondor, this, oh, it's this mighty civilization. Yeah, that's... Fallen on hard times and... I don't know. Everything's their own fault. Like they were just pompous assholes who they're Romans, you know, it's hard to sympathize with the Romans, you know, like, yeah, you guys had a good run, but it's over. And I think as Tolkien wrote the book, he just was like, man, I'm, I'm loving these land Vikings. I just invented, like, they're pretty great. <laughs> yeah. This movie, I don't want to say peaks cause it doesn't, but I do think for a lot of people, the Battle of Pelennor Fields is like this mountaintop of like, oh my goodness, like I am so invested in this. They're just guys, like they're not elves, they're not dwarves, they're not special men descended from a special race. Like they are just farmers and farriers, you know, they're just regular guys who were called to the mountains to get on their horses and ride into battle. And they're there now. And 
orcs suck, so let's just kill a bunch of them. What else is there to do? Like, yeah. the fact that they're battle, they're just screaming death. <laughs> they're just, there's 6,000 of them, and they're all just yelling death, because that's they're just like, we're going to die, and so are all of you. And I love that the orcs are just afraid of them. That's a great moment when the greatest, the actual greatest character in the entire trilogy, Gothmog. Yes. I do love that in the extended version we get to see his come yeah, up. He, yeah, he. I love that. That's missing in this I scene, love that. for sure. It's like, well, Saruman in the beginning. We talked about this off screen yes. the other day. It, yeah, so there are definitely some things in the theatrical version that are, that missing. are missing. Yeah. And Gothmog, he does have a great last shot in theatrical of him just like, he looks like he just, you know, pooped his pants and he's terrified and he's just running away because there's 6,000 guys just screaming death as they ride towards them. Like, it's scary. The orcs. Less don't. than half of what he hoped. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, extended, you get to see him get his arm lopped off and get stabbed and it's pretty great. But yeah, yeah there's things. The movie's not as focused as the other two. Like, it doesn't have that, like, the Frodo and Sam stuff is very focused. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the stuff, like, the Frodo Sam. Gollum dynamic is the strongest in this movie. That is like crystal clear. It's like they're trying to get to Mount Doom. Gollum wants to get rid of Sam. A complete new addition from the book that's not in the book at all. They stick together the whole time. Like that is like, that works really well. The war stuff that was the highlight of Two Towers, that's not all over the place, but it's very much like, oh, and then now there's a war. Now there's a battle. Like it's just sort of like very. It doesn't build in the same way that the two towers like builds and builds and builds to Helm's Deep. And Fellowship of the Rain is all about this, about the journey, the quest, we're traveling, we're leaving. And that's the thing. All the battle stuff ends and you're like, oh my God, that was like a whole movie. And now there's like, what, 45 minutes left? And it still works because right. the, the Frodo, Sam and Gollum stuff is so strong. It was great because Gollum's so sympathetic and yet... He made Sam cry. <laughs> now we're really mad at him. Like as an audience, it's like he made Sam cry. Like why'd he do that? And I know a lot of book fans hate that that happens. That Frodo tells Sam to go away. Again, watching it now, I should mention I I have not seen this theatrical version since two thousand four or five. It had been a nice. very long time since I watched this. That Considering this is one of my favorite movies, and how well I've seen the extended edition four hundred sure. times, yeah, you know yeah, something yeah. like that. But I've seen the first two even more. But I'm going to make another Star Wars comparison. This reminds me a lot of Return of the Jedi also, mm-hmm. where no one's making decisions that make sense to me. So I just mentioned that one where I'm like, why couldn't Theoden and Aragorn have been like, here's the deal. Here's what we're doing. Fucking Frodo trusts that thing over Sam at the end of the day. It's like, who is the more suspicious of these two? Yeah. Um, but it does He's work high. well because they, I was going to say, the very opening of this movie is the Smeagol origin story, yes. which I like struggle with in one way i think it's a little repetitive where it's like i don't know if we needed to see that when we basically knew the whole thing i don't um, like that scene I'll yeah just and, say it. i don't like it and it goes on a little too long and mm-hmm. it, i feel like it kind of like doesn't get you like right into the movie whereas the two towers opens with a quick flashback and then you see that hey maybe gandalf didn't die and if you had seen a trailer for this movie you know that gandalf didn't yes. die <laughs> the first one of course has the best opening with the awesome prologue but this third one it's kind of like Oh, we're opening with Smeagol and like, we already kind of know that this happened. And what I also think is interesting is that one makes him in two towers. We kind of grew to sympathize with him and feel for him. And even though it ends with him being back to Gollum back and being mischievous and like, I'm going to trick them. You understand why he's thinking that way because he believes he had been betrayed. Yes. But then when you 
that kind of gets undercut a bit by this opening where he's just immediately consumed by the ring and kills his best friend. It's like, yeah, uh, both like Deagle. Goes they both are. That's like, true. They both just immediately snap. But see, I just, I just don't like that scene. Like I, I love mm. that we get to see Andy Serkis's face. Like, sure. of course is great. And that like slow, the best part of that scene is after the murder where it's just the descent of how that essentially human guy became Gollum, the devolution of him. He's eating raw fish and he doesn't like the sun. And I just love that final shot of the whole sequence where he just like closes his eyes and then like opens it up. And yeah, um, he says, you know, my precious, like, I love that. I don't know if there's a, there's a way to include that, but not the actual Smeagol murdering Deagle cut that and keep the Saruman scene in. <laughs> like that's always been my that's thing. Should, opening yeah. this movie. But then again, Peter Jackson is his, I think his mindset was the war is fun. We got to keep this focused on Frodo and Sam. Like he always said, like that's the A plot. Aragorn's the B plot basically. So like, let's not get too carried away with the B plot here. Let's explore Gollum a little bit so that it's more impactful when he dies, but it's impactful no matter what. Like, Gollum's death scene leaves an impression on you whether you saw him murder his best friend or not. Yeah, and in The Two Towers, the B plot way is way more interesting, I think, and overtakes the A plot, that being yes. Aragorn. And this one does a better job of them being... They feel equally important. And even though it is the skill of Jackson and crew where the Battle of Pelennor Fields is occurring and you mm -hmm. cut away from that to two people in a cave, and you're like... Yes. I still ultimately am a bit more interested in the Battle of Pelennor Fields, but it's not like this vast tonal difference, which is incredible. Like the stakes are equally as high because, like you said, that whole battle is really just a big diversion, and what's going mm -hmm. on with these these two characters is the more important thing. So it's yeah. incredible editing, and although this one the pacing is not quite as strong, I think that's another sort of weakness. It also does a little bit of I don't want to say like it doesn't like retcon per se, but something that has to this day annoyed me is again magic it all goes back to magic where gothmog and the witch king of angmar the witch king of angmar where they're going back at like what do we do about the the wizard it's like well the guy who's just good at fighting <laughs> like what, what do you mean what do you do about him he doesn't use any magic He's gonna yeah light. oh yeah and that one it's an awesome scene great music but when he rides out and he just shoots light at them but when gandalf is doing his exposition dump with pippin he says oh there's this one thing this one card that sauron hasn't played yet you know one of the nazgul one of the riders from the first movie well he's actually like a bigger badder version than the other eight and we're just establishing this right now and then even when that's all said then nothing really there's no real like great payoff of that Again. other than awen's payoff but well yes but then again in terms of payoff between the witch king and gandalf that's in the extended edition where gandalf yes. and pippin are riding up to go save faramir and the witch king lands and is gonna kill them but then he's distracted by the sound of it's like leave that scene in too because yes gandalf's not gonna defeat the witch king but i want to see that payoff of like these two are aware of each other you know it's like michael mann shit like it's two professionals on opposite sides weighing each other up and what are we gonna confront each other. I remember watching this in the theaters and it got to that scene where Gandalf is like, there's a there's a new guy. He's called the Witch King of Angmar. And I remember thinking, okay, that's really cool. <laughs> no, for I sure. The way... I love that orcs 
he gets his own little like suit up scene where the orcs are putting the on suit up scene is great. Yeah. His, his yeah. spiky gloves and just the witch cane of Angmar is a great, it's just a great name. Like it is again, this tradition of our villain is an eye. So we need people on the ground that are intimidating. We need a goth hog. We need a witch cane. We need someone that can like embody the villains on the battlefield. The Mouth of Sauron, who's not in the theatrical cut, but is a great character. These embodiments of, here's who he's got working for him. Just imagine how bad he is. Like, these guys are afraid of him. These, like, six-foot-tall demons with spiked helmets are afraid of the eye guy. I like that. But, yeah, it's like, that's why I kind of don't think that either version's a finished movie, because the theatrical cut is missing scenes. Like, you shouldn't have cut that. You should have kept that in. You already made it three hours and 20 minutes. Like, just make it four hours. Like, fuck it. Just make it. It has to be four hours. It has to be long. And then the extended version, I think, Lee puts too much back in. There's scenes that's like, you don't, you don't need that. Cut that scene. You don't need the drinking game with Gimli and Legolas. Like, you don't need that. Cut that scene out. It's definitely the most, not compromised, but you can feel the pressure of this is the third one. People really like the battle stuff. People also really like the Gollum stuff. Like... What do we do? Do we do another golem scene at the beginning? Do we do, do we make the battles bigger? Like you can feel that pressure of them not having enough time to make the movie that they know they're capable of and the rush to to get something in theaters that people will like. And it has to be under a certain time constraint. Like you see, like Return of the Jedi, it's not bad at all. No. But you see the seeds of what's gonna be the problem in the prequel trilogy, you see the seeds of, okay, if you don't give enough time and money, things are going to start to feel rushed and silly. And that becomes a problem in the Hobbit films, especially the, the third Hobbit film, yes. <laughs> where it's like, here's what the people want. It's like, yeah, but it's not a story. We don't have a script. We don't have a, we don't have a strong narrative. This doesn't have that problem because the book has a strong narrative and they're just basically very more or less faithfully adapting the book. I know Tolkien fans are like, it's so unfaithful. Like, Denethor's not a bad guy in the book. It's like, I don't give a shit. Like, oh. Yeah, maybe the last big, big thing I want to discuss is Denethor and Gondor. So you mentioned them earlier. And, you know, in Two Towers, we see the world of men through Rohan. We spend a lot of time with Rohan and get to meet them. And they're very quaint and like likable people like you said they're simple folk and this one's just like here's gondor and the two towers had an extended scene that's a little helpful in establishing the lore or a couple <laughs> scenes that both gives you the dynamic among denethor baromir faramir but you're missing that and this one it's kind of just foisted on you and same thing with gondor like visually Minas Tirith is so cool. Embarrassingly, the first time I saw this movie, I didn't quite recognize that we had already seen Minas Tirith. In I, think, I, think, I think that's yeah. most people. They don't realize that, yeah, I think that's most people. That's where Gandalf, I just thought he went to a cool library. I didn't realize he went necessarily to the capital of Gondor, but <laughs> here's Gondor. I love that Theoden is a bit of a petty bitch when it gets brought up, like, you gotta call for aid. He's like, fuck do I, why do I have to do that when they didn't come mm -hmm. give us support? And you do get to see a bit of the, the lack of leadership when you meet Denethor, but it's not really, not that I'm asking for an exposition dump, but it's not really explained why there was never a new king and why there's been this line of stewards and why this steward is particularly ineffective and why he's the way he is. Now it's helped significantly by an 
incredible performance by John Noble, one of our favorites. Oh just, like he's just so good in everything he's in, but this is like he, still he, my favorite role for him. He doesn't need to play Kane Lear. He nailed it in this one. Like he's just so good. And you see glimpses of the, the charming guy that probably was very good when he first started out. Yeah. But now yeah. he's just and like the little touches in the book, it's a big moment, but in the movie, it's like this great little touch of he's wearing chainmail all the time. Like what a maniac. This is a guy who just is sitting and waiting for the moment when his city will fall apart and he gets to die in some sort of glorious, weird sacrifice. There's not a lot of explanation of Gondor. And I think that's kind of good because there is a lot of explanation of the whole situation in the book. And it's just like, okay, so they're all, so they're just racists. Like they just, they just, they don't want anyone who isn't descended from the Numenorians to rule them. So they'd rather just not have a king. Again, you get into the timescales of Tolkien for like centuries. They just have the butler running the place. Like that's the thing. Gondorians aren't likable. Like they're snooty. And I love it. Their whole thing is like, oh yeah, our city's beautiful and we're rich, but we're so sad. We're so sad. It's like, well, yeah. go to therapy. Like they're here on the poor <laughs> and they seem fine. They're working through it. They're just not as likable a people. But you also don't, and you don't spend time with them in the movies. That's kind of the... That's the thing. They're just this distant people. And you could have devoted time, like in the book, Pippin befriends the kid of one of the tower guard that he joins. And you kind of, he goes on a tour of the city and it's it's cute. The kid keeps talking to Pippin like he's a kid. And Pippin's like, I'm like twice your age. I just, I'm just a hobbit. You get a sense of like the wider countryside, but like, do we have time for that? I go back and forth on it. And, and Thaden is very like eager to ride to Minas Tirith. He's just waiting to receive the red arrow, which is this ancient symbol of we need your help. Come quickly. But I kind of like that. He's sort of thinking like we barely made it out of Helm's deep alive. I just want to like hunker down and get ready for whatever the hell is coming next. But his desire to die in a cool way overcomes that. And he's like, okay, let's, all right, all yeah. right. There's all right, a, that's what I mean. <laughs> we've been talking for over an hour and we have not addressed the greatest sequence in this movie. Um, so I guess that that's a fitting way to end. So while I said I love that he's a bit of a petty bitch, he also, it's pretty quick for him to turn around. They ask and he's like, all right, fine. Fine, I guess we're coming, but it's also, it would have come to a grinding halt in the movie if he had said no, because what leads to the request is the most visually awesome thing ever, and that is the lighting of the beacons. There's a little, you know, little thing with good little character moments for Gandalf and Pippin to... Yes. Yeah, Pippin, Pippin like... and Gandalf are good in this movie. I, I really like their dynamic, and I think they aren't given... Gimli and Legolas are kind of given the bench for this one after having such a role in the Two Towers, but Gandalf and Pippin have a lot of good, especially yeah. Gandalf talking about death is like one of my favorite moments in this whole series. And but yeah, pairing them, Gandalf with the person he hates most in the world. Yeah, is a very yeah. and there's very good humor with that. He remains a fool, yeah, yeah, but but an honest fool at that. And then yeah, the constant like, oh, don't mention this, don't mention that. I love Gandalf yeah. the politician. Um, yes. Oh, Gandalf the White is a complete wet blanket in the two towers and in this movie he's awesome he he's like one yes of the best characters in the movie the two towers the scene where he reveals himself is awesome in the um halls of edoras but yes. not when he reveals himself to the three yes yes, our yes, three. yes but yeah that whole scene is great but other than that he's like great movie he's not a great character and he leaves the movie for a while and it's like and eh, it's maybe for the best for this one yes but yeah he's back to being he's almost like gandalf the gray he's got that Grumpy. like yeah, he's a little grumpy. He's got that politician in him. 
he looks so great when Denethor is setting himself on fire and he knocks open the doors. The bags under his eyes look so great. He's been fighting all night. And I feel like that's a good representation of the audience where it's like, are we still doing this? Like, what are, what is your deal? Like, do that's I why really it's so need good. to stop? You yeah. Like, <laughs> you feel like you've been in a city under siege for hours. And it keeps, I love when he says, no matter what comes through that gate, you are men of Gondor. And then trolls come through the gate and Gandalf is like, Oh, oh, shit. I, was not, I was not expecting that's that. That's a great moment. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great moment. Yep. When, like you said, when he's telling Pippin everything he can say, and then it's best if you don't speak at all. It's It's a great line. Yeah. He comes in. He's prepared to not tell this man that his son is dead. Like, I love mm-hmm. that he is so, like, I and don't even want to deal with this drama. Like, we got to get this asshole on board. And then he. Denethor already knows. It's great. It's a great scene. Um, no one calls him Gandalf in Minas Tirith. I love that he has different names. Depending on where he goes in the world, he has different names. Like, oh, I love that shit. <laughs> I wish that was maybe also just a quick like line uh, yeah. alluding to that because that always that confused me the first few times I had seen it. But the books speak to that. Yeah, yeah that gives you a much more like global and fantasy sense yes. of this. Of like they, these are other countries and like yes. they have other ideas about maybe magic and wizards and stuff. Yes. So you even have different names. So that yeah, Mithrandi. I do love that. Yeah. So everything with Gandalf is awesome in this movie, right? So the lighting of the beacons, they circumvent Denethor's order Pippin goes and lights and it's just it's just movie magic man and I'll Mm -hmm. drop in the Howard Shore music right here Possibly, this is no hyperbole, it might be my favorite piece of music in a movie. It's pretty good. It's the music that played every single time it won one of its 11 Academy Oh, I should go back and watch. Yeah, I don't think I watched the Oscars that year. None of which were an Oscar for Sean Astin, which is still something, as much as I don't care about the Oscars, that still pisses me off. Sean Astin is... He's very good in this as well. In this movie. He just... Him fighting Shelob... It's so cool. <laughs> it's very earned, uh, it very is emotional a moment. And again, it's that paying homage to the fact that as Tolkien kept writing the book, he thought, "Oh, Sam's the hero." <laughs> yeah, I'm writing this big, complicated story, but this guy's the hero. Like, thank God this guy's here, or else all of it falls apart. There's just so many. We could talk for another two hours, probably. Like, if we really wanted to, like, because we haven't really even talked about the Frodo Sam Gollum stuff. Like, Not really. You're right. Yeah, I love that Gollum. Basically, after getting burned metaphorically in the um, second movie, he's now more evil than he's ever been. He tried to trust Frodo. He got his heart broken and now he's pissed and he wants them both to be dead. And he wants that rain. And I love how uh, maybe there was a part of me that thought that when Frodo kicks him off into the chasm, like, Oh, I guess Gollum's dead. He's not going to be in the movie, but him showing up peering over that rock. And he's like, clever hobbits to have climbed so high. Like, Oh, so great. (laughs) It's so great. It's like, he's back. 
And it's like, this is the last thing we need right now. But at the same time, yay, Gollum's back. I love this character. <laughs> yeah, he's particularly, well, he's good in all three, obviously. But in this one, that Andy Serkis didn't get any recognition either. You know, that's another thing. But you're right, Sean Astin's very good. He was another one who stood out to me watching it again this time. And it's like, yeah, I really sympathize with that character. When he overhears Gollum talking, it's like that he refrains himself from killing this thing and that because he also knows it's like he is our guide and like frodo has this attachment with him and like morally i should not kill people yeah yeah he's a good guy that doesn't isn't comfortable with just murdering people yeah but like but like he should (laughs) have yes i love how shitty him and frodo look too at the end of the movie like their lips are chapped they're just like they look like they've been trudging across you know mordor the worst place in the world like it's great and I love how pissed he looks when Frodo takes the rain off the chain and puts it on. And Sam just has this look of, really? Yeah. Really? After all that? After all the shit we've been And I love that, too, that Frodo, Frodo messes up. <laughs> Frodo doesn't do it. Like, that's the thing that I always think people forget. Like, Frodo fails. Like, if it wasn't for Correct. the fact that Bilbo didn't kill Gollum 60 years ago, Frodo mm-hmm. failed. Frodo mm-hmm. failed in his quest, which I think is a big reason why he comes back to the Shire and he's so depressed. <laughs> Because he's like, I went through all this. I can never sleep at night. My chest hurts all the time. I'm miserable. And I messed up. I love that aspect of his character. Like, he can never go home again. Like, it's a great little it's yeah. a great little metaphor from a World War One veteran who's just traumatized and dealing with shell shock and doesn't know quite how to process it. I always thought, like, an SNL, a funny, like, SNL skit could have been if they're all like in the room happy to see each other and Sam's just like, you know that he totally didn't throw it. <laughs> like he did fail his, yeah, it's one of those, I think now of like how you've told me a bit more about what Dune is going to be if done correctly. Yeah. Like, yes. Now I know that's, it's not an exact comparison, but like it subverts expectations where it's like what the dangers of relying on a Messiah and what that power can bring to somebody. Yeah, but that's it's like, the, sorry, he, he got it this far, you know? And he didn't kill Gollum. He resisted the temptation to kill Gollum. And because of that, they win because Gollum gets too excited. Like, I've always loved that. Yeah. Just that moment of of him looking at it as he melts. (laughs) And the fact that the rain just, like, doesn't melt immediately. Like, I love that. That it just won't die. Like, it's just sitting there on top of lava. And it's like, that's how powerful this thing is. Like, it's sitting in a volcano. And it's like, nope, not ready yet. (laughs) Yeah. It's great. That's a very good theme too. Something I noticed watching all it's like, oh, they do while it's the same story, and obviously there are like different character arcs and all of that, but the themes, or I should say the same character arcs, you know, throughout the series. But temptation is a big theme in this specific movie. Aragorn, the temptation of whether or not he should take on the mantle of king and everything with the ring, even like Aowen temptation to go fight and def- mm-hmm. defy orders. Like that's, that's something that works on so many levels in this. Pippin um, has to look in the Palantir. Like he has thank to. Thank you. I was going to say, there's another like physical. The, yeah. That's another one. Even Sam, he has the ring for a couple hours and even he's like hesitant to give it back to Frodo. I always like the little fan theory that the reason Frodo takes like a complete, just completely take a complete nosedive once they cross into mortar, like he's been holding it together for, you know, two and a half movies, but again to Mordor, and he's like the weakest he's ever been, is because he doesn't have the shirt anymore. Like the mithril shirt was preventing just that little bit of evil, and now he doesn't have it. So it's just mm. like he's in Mordor, he doesn't have the mithril shirt, he's fucked. He's just exhausted and just he just wants to he just wants to go to sleep. It's great. And you get there's so many great orcs too. Like we meet so many great guys like 
the orc that runs Kirith Ungol, the yeah, he's awesome. I wanna, yeah. I, I would, I would happily work for him. He seems very professional. <laughs> he, like he, he's just is trying to do his job, and these orcs are always trying to kill each other. This is the one that I can sort of hop around the most. Like I'll just throw it on, and I definitely skip more than I. I don't skip scenes in Two Towers and Fellowship of the Ring, but I fast forward a little bit. I skip some stuff. I usually skip the opening. Yeah. scenes i just don't not the scene of the three of them in the little cave just the flashback stuff but it's just a good movie to kind of be in it's very comforting in a weird way oh for sure yeah like we said to go back to the beginning this has a storybook ending it's a very comforting film despite all the there's a lot of dread going on but especially that last act and then you know a lot of things at the start you know it's like it's very sweet when sam says he rationed out the food for the return journey home and even though it's a little you know the arwen scene i love the hope and optimism of her future glimpse into the future of seeing aragorn and their son yeah that's a perfectly cast kid too i'm like that looks like their kid yeah i know those are the boring scenes but she's very good in them like she we talked about this fellowship like i said i had this i didn't like the nepotism i still hate how high she is in the billing especially with this movie i think she she's third build she's third build in all three of them it's like she was ridiculous one of the stars of armageddon you know great film written by jj abrams yeah but she did you know that i didn't know that yeah yeah, he, he's wow. written he's written a lot of like weird like oh like he wrote Jeepers Creepers. Oh like he did a lot of screenplays before he got into the TV oh. creation world. Okay. All yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. She is very good, Liv Tyler. She's been very good on the leftovers and a few other things that I've seen her in since, but underrated performer. And I think she was perfectly yeah, she has elvish features and she had a little bit of star power pedigree, but she delivers in these movies for sure. She leaves a lasting impression. Absolutely. It's something I appreciate much more now. Another heartbreaking moment is when Aragorn lets Eowyn down. That just, we've all, oof, it's like one of the hardest. My now wife, if she's listening in the other room, she, she rejected me around the same time, the same manner. So, but, you know, it all worked out for everybody. <laughs> we're, we're together. Faramir and Eowyn are together. I, I love that. I love that those two sad kind of souls found each other. and They were like, See, I'm the most sad for the fact when Eomir gets to the coronation, he's like, Oh, he has a he's got a fiance. Shit, because I'm sure he wanted to marry Aragorn because they fall in love. Those two fall in love immediately. Poor Amir. Nice. He's just standing there and he's like, "Oh man, You're like that guy's so cool." Yeah, My sister's got this guy. Aragorn's got this elf lady. There are elves apparently. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Can always use more Amir. Can always use more Amir in any. Yeah, he's another. Well, and he also kind of disappears from the second one, and of course he's gone on to become, you know, he's Bones and the Boys, and Carl Urban's been in a million things. So it's like, oh man, I wish there was more of that guy too. But a lot of characters in these jam-packed movies, and you know, again, this movie, obviously, as you can tell by how much we've talked about it, it still means quite a bit to both of us. It still is an incredible, incredible movie. It's one of those movies, but it's yeah, it's like saying for the first six even seven seasons of game of thrones like what's your least favorite season of game of thrones god i don't know they're all great it doesn't really matter you can kind of put them in whatever order and that's certainly more or less how i feel about this series even though the first one is clearly my favorite but this is like a 9.2 out of 10 and fellowship is a 10 out of 10 or something like that so yeah if you if you like game of thrones and haven't seen return of the king return of the king is what if it was all of Peter Dinklage's best acting scenes and a bunch of hard homes? Like, how's that sound? Pretty great, right? <laughs> like, that's what it is. <laughs> that's this movie. Yeah. 
Does everything get explained? No, are there a couple <laughs> Deus Ex Machinas? We haven't, we didn't talk about the Eagles. I hate the fucking Eagles, man. The Eagles are the ultimate one where there's no goddamn rules, and it's like, I oh hate god, the fucking Eagles, man. Fucking yeah, and I hate the fucking Eagles. <laughs> I didn't know if we were gonna make it through a whole episode without quoting the Big Lebowski. I guess no, it's no, impossible. No way. <laughs> Speaking of Danny and I, so our season finale, we're gonna provide a commentary track for the Big Lebowski because that is also celebrating anniversary it's its 25th anniversary and as danny clearly put it we would never be able to talk about that movie in a cohesive conversation so a commentary track i think makes a little bit more sense and it's another movie about misfits trying to find an honorable end at the end of history more on that (laughs) season finale (laughs) well thank you very much for our journey to middle earth and hint there may be another journey to Middle Earth at some point mm-hmm. in 2024, and I'm not That's talking right. about the Ring of Rings of Power season two. So I was gonna make a joke that Kevin and I have made a Rings of Power <laughs> fan fiction, and we'd like to share it with you. This is now a D and D style role playing podcast where there we, we share, go, where we share our Rings of Power fan fiction. <laughs> <laughs> well, if that comes, I don't even know anymore with the writer strikes. But if that comes out, we'll talk about it. I know House of Dragon, well, House of the Dragon, is definitely still on, but Andor got pushed back a full year. Well, Rings of the Power, I don't think the first season had writers, so I think they should be all set with season two because there, oh. no, there was no script for that show. Oh, oh. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> let's stay positive. Return of the yes. King. Excellent movie. It's oh, they're all streaming on Max. If you haven't watched them in a while, I think both versions. Both okay. I was just both versions. Yep. You can watch the theatrical and the extended and decide for yourself what you think is your preferred mixtape. Either way, it's an excellent movie. It deserves those eleven Oscars. Like it belongs up there with Ben Hur and Titanic. Yes, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening and Merry Christmas to those who celebrate. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. I want to sell you death sticks. I don't want to sell you death sticks. You want to go home and rethink your life. I want to go home and rethink my life.